Today on CityCast Philly, it's the Friday News Roundup. We're talking about how many Philly voters showed up to this year's election and the problems 911 police dispatchers are having in Philly. It's Friday, November 17th. I'm Trinanery, and here's what Philly's talking about. Joining me this week is Julia Teruso, political reporter at the Philadelphia Inquirer. Hey, Julia, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. And Isaac Avalusia, reporter at Axios Philadelphia. Glad to have you back on the show, too. Hey, good morning, Trinity. Good morning, everyone. And if you're a new listener, welcome to the show. You're going to love this episode. Fridays are when we break down some of the biggest stories of the week. And before we get into some of those top stories of the week, I read an article about how Philadelphians are actually expected to spend more money this holiday season. And this is all according to a Deloitte annual holiday survey that said Philadelphians plan to spend, are you ready, $1,842 on gifts, decorations, I'm guessing food. So I've got to ask y'all, are y'all planning to spend that much money this year? Oof. Um, Well, for me personally, I got married this fall, so uh, things are a little tight. Um, (laughs) But uh, on the flip side, I also feel like I have some some people to thank for helping me with the wedding. So I think I will probably spend less than that and probably fewer gifts, but the gifts I give will be more quality uh, gifts to, you know, some of the family members who helped us out with that. Got it. I got it. I've never actually tracked it. But it all it all adds up pretty quickly. So, you know, at the end of the day, I got a few people on my list, but I'm going to go back and check it twice, see if I can eliminate some of them. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So, you know what? I'm, I'm with you, Isaac. I don't usually track my spending either. I just go swipe, swipe, swipe. I want to make everyone happy. Um, but so, you know, next Friday is Black Friday. So I want to ask you this, and this is like the Philly-esque question If you have one, what's your favorite place to go shopping in person in Philly? And this all comes from another survey from Bankrate. They have a report that Philly is a top three city. I think we're we're tied with Boston, but we are ranked top three of the best places to do in-person holiday shopping. So where do y'all like to go holiday shopping in the city? I I, I don't like shopping. I'm going to be honest with you. Like my girlfriend loves shopping. I watch her. boyfriend. But, you know, like the one place that I think is beautiful and like they have shopping there is a Christmas village. It's just like picturesque and and quaint and really warm. And it just makes you feel like that holiday vibe. So, I mean, if we go there, I guess I don't mind it as much. But other than that, you could count me out. And you're talking about Christmas village in Love Park, right? Yeah. 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 I wish I was like you, Isaac. I I love just wandering some of the local boutiques. There's one called Downers near where I live in Kensington. There's also, I think it's called Open House in more of like Center City. Just, you know, I'll buy way too many candles and kitschy 
gift type stuff uh, for for people. I love that. I love taking that road trip to KOP. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I love like, I I don't mind the traffic because I know that like everyone's going up there and then, you know, we spend a few hours and have a good time. But yeah, so if you're shopping, you can go to downtown Walnut, Chestnut and Market Street, uh, the fashion district. We've got the Philadelphia Mills. Sometimes I like to go to Cherry Hill, too. I like to cross the bridge, pay the $5, and I guess Isaac online as well. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get into some of the news of the week. Believe it or not, the election was last week. Julia, we often see low voter turnout numbers during elections here in the city. Was that the case last week? It's kind of a mixed answer, Trinae. Um, mm-hmm. Philadelphia had seen a downward slide in turnout the last couple municipal or what we call off-year elections. And we actually saw Philly bounce back this year a little bit, um, about 10 uh, percentage points more than the the vote back in 2021 and a 2% bump from 2019. So you know, that's that's something when you're when you're looking at a city and and especially some of the declines we had seen. I think one part of the turnout story is that even though it's you know, it's widely understood that the Democrat wins in Philadelphia, there was a mayor's race on the ballot. People turned out to vote for the Republican David O. And I think a lot of people turned out to vote for Sherelle Parker, especially given her historic candidacy. Mm -hmm. However, we also, we looked beyond Philly to kind of see how Philly's story fit in with the rest of the state. And Philly's increase in turnout lagged other parts of the state. So there were larger bumps in turnout in Allegheny County, where Pittsburgh is, where there was a big county executive race out there in other parts of the suburbs, which tend to have higher turnout and maybe higher turnout boosts. But on the whole, turnout was up, and that was true of Philadelphia, Philadelphia's suburban collar counties, most of the big counties that deliver the most turnout. And then we also uh, kind of looked at where where turnout was increasing in Philly um, and saw that it was pretty concentrated in whiter, wealthier precincts. So mm-hmm. I think there's there's good news and there's there's work for particularly the, De- the Democratic Party to do since the city is seven to one Democratic. A lot of the turnout conversation winds up being around Democratic turnout because that's kind of the key to Democrat success statewide. So it's always under a big uh, spotlight. Gotcha. Now, we have a presidential election next year for 2024. What do these numbers mean for politicians who want to win Philly um, and maybe even win the White House? Yeah, I think there's a there's a number of different takeaways. I think one of the reasons Democrats think turnout increased across the state was that the the race at the top of the state was the state Supreme Court race where $22 million was poured into it. And the real focus was abortion, abortion rights, women's reproductive rights, So I think Democrats see an opportunity in Philadelphia and statewide when they center their campaigns on abortion rights. I do think if you're the Democratic Party, there are some concerning signs in Philadelphia still, given that the share of the statewide total of Democratic votes keeps shrinking. And given that, you know, again, a lot of precincts that have um, majority black and brown voters, Latino voters, and lower income voters 
turnout slid in those neighborhoods, in those precincts, excuse me. So there are some things to celebrate for the Democratic Party, but then there are also some things they're going to have to work on, which we see in polling too, you know, um, polling on President Biden and former President Trump. We are a year out. Polling is polling, but shows that Biden is not doing as well with black voters as he was the last time around. So I think there's there's a lot to to digest in all of this. Um, some of it good, some of it bad. If you're a Democrat, mm-hmm. um, for Republicans, I think this this turnout story is really a story of how key the suburbs were to Democratic victories, and that any Republicans trying to win statewide in Pennsylvania are going to have to win over more of the suburbs or lose less of them to win statewide. There are limits to what you can glean from an off-year election, you know, about we're talking about turnout, we're celebrating turnout, but only about 30 percent of registered voters voted statewide. That's expected to be much higher in a presidential election. And more voters are going to come out, you know, especially if Trump is on the ballot. It could be a very different situation. Julia, this seems to always be the big question every time we have an election, but how do we make voting appealing? How do we make it sexy? (laughs) I hear you. Um, I think this election showed us that voters are often motivated when they feel um, a fundamental right is at stake. I, I do think that the abortion issue motivated a lot of people to come out and to vote in this election. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the challenge that both of these parties are going to have, especially if they have two candidates at the top of the ticket that are very unpopular is, you know, how do you, what are, what are you getting people out to vote for? And for Democrats, I think they're, they're really going to lean into abortion rights again. Interesting. Isaac, you've been following a story about some problems with police dispatchers here in the city. And the story actually goes back to the mass shooting that took place over the summer in King Sessing when Philly police were sent to the wrong address and ultimately were unable to make it to one of the first victims. Can you just tell us more about what's actually happening? Yeah, you know, we actually had some resolution in the internal affairs investigation into that incident. Uh, John Stanford, the interim police commissioner, shared during a council hearing this week that that dispatcher was actually sent for three days of retraining after that incident, after sending police to the wrong address. Not, You know, I don't think they're classifying it formally as discipline, more as a retraining and a, an opportunity to re-educate a person, a city employee who made a mistake. But I think the issue really here is it's easy to make a scapegoat. It's a lot harder to explore something systemic like what's going on at the police radio room. Uh, Many dispatchers testified during that council hearing that they're overworked, they're overburdened, and they're underappreciated. We're talking about 2.5 to 3 million calls annually each year that that dispatch room receives, many of which are for violent crime. So you're talking about a constant flow of calls in and out to that radio room. And you're talking about a job that is very important, dispatching police to emergencies. So, you know, that that's a high stress job. And it's a situation where you're in the pressure cooker. So, you know, when you actually examine it and look at it and kind of peel back the layers, you get a better understanding of why that individual made a mistake and, you know, an, an unfortunate one that had 
ramifications and repercussions. But, you know, when you when you hear the other side of it, you get a clearer picture of what's going on on both sides of the coin and start understanding the true depth of the problem. I also read in your story that the dispatchers also talked about low pay. Um, how does that play out into this? Yeah, they make a minimum of $42,000 a year. I think one of the dispatchers testified that the average pay for a dispatcher is about $47,000 a year. And that is not nearly commensurate with some of the collar counties in Philadelphia uh, or, or surrounding Philadelphia. You know, they're making much more than the average Philadelphia dispatcher. And uh, Commissioner Stanford had estimated that the dispatchers would need a between a 10 to 17 percent pay increase to make them competitive with some of these other dispatchers in other counties. And, you know, throughout the police department, we've talked about this on the show throughout this year, is that they've had a lot of struggles with retaining officers, with hiring new officers. Um, Isaac, you talked about what dispatchers said at the hearing this week. What did residents say at the hearing? There's been two hearings on this so far since 2020, where they've kind of examined these problems that are just entrenched, and those remain. Residents are saying that in some instances, their phone calls to 911 are going unanswered, or in some cases, it's taking a minute or two for the dispatchers to answer the call. So uh, some of the same struggles. One woman had indicated that her father had actually called 911 while having a stroke more than two dozen times and did not get a response. Uh, another individual had complained that they encountered a dismissive dispatcher that said something to the effect of, what do you want me to do about it when they were reporting an emergency? So it's like not having enough empathy and understanding of their situation. Correct. And I think that it's important to look at it from both lenses. Like if you have people on one side of the token that are overburdened, stressed out and constantly under the gun, and then you have people calling in emergencies, you kind of see where those two things, those two issues dovetail and while it might not be acceptable to have that type of reaction, we've all been in stressful situations in our job, and we probably all haven't performed to the same level that we would have it as expectations for ourselves. That doesn't excuse the, the behavior, but it kind of explains it. Now, Isaac, what changes has the police department implemented since that shooting in King Sesson? So shockingly, 911 callbacks were not recorded prior to this King Session tragedy. Since then, they've instituted a policy that all the callbacks are recorded, and now dispatchers are asked to ask additional questions at the outset of each call to really elicit exact locational information that includes cardinal directions, right? North, south, east, west, because in this case, you know, the difference between north and south was three or four miles, and that really you know, delayed and by two days, the police response to a tragedy that some people speculate may have been prevented had they been able to find that first victim, Joseph Wama Jr., uh, two days before that same gunman showed up at the same scene and opened fire again. Hmm. And then they're, they're also looking to modernize the current kind of dispatch system, upgrade the software to basically automatize some of that information that these dispatchers are inputting some of it they're inputting manually, and that raises the margin of error 
So they want to get a system that kind of automatizes that and includes like drop down boxes for some of that, maybe that directional stuff or some of the other information. So you're not having to input it all by hand and raising the possibility of making a mistake like was made in this instance. All right. Um, We're looking forward to more information on that story. That was Isaac Avalusia, reporter at Axios Philadelphia, and Julia Taruso, political reporter at the Philadelphia Inquirer. Thank you both so much for joining me on CityCast Philly this week. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's time for the tip of the week, where we share a life hack for living in Philly. Don't forget, it's the Philadelphia Marathon Race Weekend. There will be several streets closed or blocked off starting today, November 17th through Sunday, November 19th. Also, make sure to text RUNPHL to 888-777 to get updates on the weather, emergency, and other event information. Also, if you want a little bit more details about this whole weekend, go to philadelphiamarathon.com. We'll have a link in our show notes. And good luck to all the participants this year. If you have a tip of the week, we'd love to hear from you too. Call or text us at 215-259-8170. That's all for this week on CityCast Philly. Our executive producer is Laura Benchoff. Our producers are Abby Fritz and Noah Snyderman. Our Hey Philly newsletter editor is Joel Wolfram. And our host is me, Trinae Nuri. Music is by Philly's own Interminable, with additional music from All the Kimonos and James Weldon. If you enjoyed this week of episodes, tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and make sure you subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Philly. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Have a great weekend and be safe, y'all. Bye. We're almost there. I guess it's time to vacuum.